We are back. On next week's show, we're going to talk about mad cow disease, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, and its potential risks to the North American uh, beef herd. So I expect to spend most of the hour next Thursday talking about that. So we really ought to spend extra time on today's show dealing with uh, current events. So, so we'll do that. Let's go to The Week magazine, the only in America file. Apparently almost 500 people have formed a citizen's militia to patrol the border of Mexico and Arizona for illegal immigrants. I felt the only way to get something done was to do it yourself, said Vietnam veteran Jim Gilchrist, a member of the Minutemen Project. U.S. Border Patrol agents are worried, pointing out that some of the Minutemen will be carrying guns. Glenn Spencer, the founder of a rival private patrol, predicts trouble. How are they going to keep the nutcases out of there, he asked. Good question. And in a program which we wonder might inspire imitation here at the University of California, Davis, students at the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor are being offered $100 to clean up their dorm rooms. The money is available to students who open their rooms to tours of prospective students and their parents. Some students, though, have applied to be part of the tour and have been rejected. They probably thought no amount of money could improve this room, said sophomore Adele Coelho. And some good news from the same source. From the San Ignacio Lagoon, Baja Peninsula, Mexico, Mexico's gray whale population has rebounded from near extinction, apparently. Gabriel Arturo Zaragoza, who heads the government's whale census, said he recently counted 800 babies in or near San Ignacio Lagoon in Baja. The whales migrate there every winter, and after being hunted relentlessly in the early early 20th century for their blubber and meat, the population crashed. There were fewer than 2,000 left by 1970, but as whale hunting fell out of favor and whale watching became a lucrative industry, the number of greys have now boomed to 18,000 in the Pacific Ocean between Mexico and Alaska. And from our favorite, the good week for, bad week for section... The magazine noted it was a good week for gilding the lily after Russian scientists developed a new pill that they proclaim, quote, prolongs drunkenness, unquote, and, quote, enhances intoxication, unquote. Now, having driven around in Leningrad at about 9 a.m. on a uh, Sunday morning and watched the bleary-faced alcoholics lined up for a block to buy a vodka, I would say this is one thing I'm pretty sure that Russia does not need. And in a mirror image uh, to, uh, to old-style Soviet communism, it was a good week for capitalism in Austin, Texas, after Austin High School students became entrepreneurs after the school board removed sweets from its vending machines, sparking a booming black market in candy. Some students have earned as much as $200 a week selling sweets to their classmates. You know, it was a bad week last week for Beelzebub after 100 priests enrolled in the first Vatican-authorized training course for exorcists. I was wondering when we would see this this trend in faith-based initiatives getting back to, you know, some of the good old-time religion when it came to secular humanist matters like modern science and the so-called germ theory 
of disease. If you read your Bible, of course, you know that uh, disease is caused by God's will, demons, and evil spirits. We're looking forward to Pope John Paul II making a meteoric recovery once these priests get untracked uh, and get involved with his care. And that might be a good point to note that the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, the Regents of the University of California, or really anyone else but us. In our third segment today, we're going to come back to that issue of the Ten Commandments, uh, which are now... uh, uh, The issue of the Ten Commandments being displayed is now before the U.S. Supreme Court. But in the meantime, we feel we have to uh, make note of the um, WorldCom uh, trial that's going on. Bernard Ebers, the former WorldCom CEO, once hailed as one of the most brilliant telecommunications entrepreneurs ever, told a packed courtroom last Monday, quote, I don't know about technology, and I don't know about finance, and accounting. Refuting the testimony of his former finance chief, Scott Sullivan, who claimed earlier in the trial that Ebers pressured him to falsify company financial statements, quote, I wasn't advised by Scott Sullivan of anything ever being wrong, unquote. Ebers said, he never told me he made an entry that wasn't right. If he had, we wouldn't be here today. He added that he did not recall conversations that Sullivan said they had had. Apparently, Mr. Ebers is being assisted by the Steve Martin defense in this matter. As you can recall, Steve Martin pointed out a few years ago that if you're ever in court, what you do is you point out that you forgot that what you'd done was illegal. For example, you're on trial for armed robbery. Address the courtroom and say, I'm sorry. I forgot that armed robbery was illegal. We'll come back to that story. And um, locally, over in the Bay Area, one of the uh, police forces in the East Bay has attracted some national attention. The Fremont Police Department put out a letter noting that it was no longer going to respond to alarm calls. They did studies over the years that showed that 98.5% of their alarm calls are false alarms. I'm actually holding in my hand a most remarkable document mailed out to the citizens of Fremont, California, and we're going to try and put a call through to the Fremont Police Department to ask them about this. Because they note in here that, um, you know, they, they tried to work with alarm companies to get the false alarm rate down. Noting in the document here, in the t- past 12 months, we still responded to 7,000 alarms, of which over 6,900 were false. They note later in the document, no police will be dispatched until there is a verified problem. However, they add one paragraph in bold face type, the Fremont Police Department discourages you from responding to verify an alarm. This is the responsibility of your alarm company. There is a potential danger to responding to an alarm activation and encountering a suspect or a law enforcement officer who might happen upon the scene and confuse you with a criminal. Insist that your alarm company take responsibility for alarm verification. So there you have it. The wise heads of the Fremont Police Department have decided that since 69 out of 70 alarms are false, they're not going to respond to any of them. They do note that they apparently will be able to save $600,000 annually. And I would like to point out that if you come off of Highway 680 off on the Mission Boulevard in the Fremont area, 
one of the uses that money may be spent to is keeping officers out there giving you tickets. Beware. I must confess, I do have some connections back in the city of Fremont. It's where I grew up. And I remember so well, the reason this caught my eye, this story, was I remember so well a series of burglaries that my family had in the early 70s. And I remember calling up, I should think it was my mom, called up the police to notify them that we'd had another burglary, to which the police officer responded, what do you want us to do about it? It's clear that 30 years have passed, but not much has changed over in Fremont. I got to tell you, I'm frankly looking forward to that conversation with the representative of the Fremont PD. We will be calling them. You know, that when you think about it, some of our HMOs want to want to follow this logic. You know, most of the time when you go to the emergency room with chest pain, it isn't really a heart attack. And since most of the time it's not a heart attack, perhaps we should stop treating all people that come in with chest pain. Makes sense to me. And in more bad news from the Bay Area, the Golden Gate Bridge is now uh, proposing to raise their toll to $6. Other, uh, bi- other Bay Area bridges are now at $3. And uh, the Golden Gate Bridge has always had some special ability to, uh, to raise their rates above anybody else. I remember so well riding across the bridge as a boy with my grandfather who noted bitterly that they were sold back in 1937 on the idea that once they got the Golden Gate and Bay Bridges up, that passage across them would then become free. I know you're all shocked by the very notion of politicians lying about a thing like that, but but it happened. And although in truth, I don't know that it's reasonable to expect free passage over a bridge that costs a lot of money to maintain, but six bucks, I don't know. These, uh, these, these agencies that are responsible for, for bridge tolls and maintenance, they're like an entity unto themselves. We need to do a show on that in the future. It's an interesting, interesting little, uh, little aspect of um, California transportation that's worth taking, taking note of. I'm not sure whether the Golden Gate Bridge District is a quasi-government agency or not. We're, we're going to find out. Uh, other Golden Gate Bridge news. There's bad ideas and there's, there's really bad ideas. And one really bad idea out there that just won't go away is the idea that to prevent people from committing suicide on the Golden Gate Bridge, we need to put up a gigantic eyesore of a uh, restraint a fence to keep someone from uh, jumping off the bridge. The truth is everyone realizes that if you're determined to get over that fence and jump into the water, you're going to be able to do it. But uh, they propose to spend millions and millions of dollars and, uh, and spoil what is one of the most spectacular views in the world for the sake of saving a few lives. And I understand that some people in a moment of, of, of despair may just impulsively throw themselves off that, off that bridge. But that, um, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to justify a vast expense when, when there's no guarantee that's really going to be completely effective. Anyway, that idea will not go away, and I wish it would. Article from the Chronicle, Chronicle Washington Bureau, um, from Edward Epstein. Edward Epstein's an interesting guy. It's curious that he's writing for the Chronicle, but that's a story for another day. But his article states that um, the measure in the U.S. House of Representatives to deny driver's licenses to illegals could thwart efforts in California to make them more available. 
This bill would require states to verify that all applicants for driver's licenses are American citizens or are living in this country legally. If states don't comply within three years, their licenses couldn't be used for federal purposes, including boarding airplanes. Well, this, this might make, uh, make moot California's simmering debate over the issue. And speaking of traffic, uh, article here in the Sacramento News and Review by Kel Munger, Confessions of an Ex-Meter Maid, I found rather interesting. I did not know this, but early last month, the Sacramento City Council approved a program still in its pilot phase to charge residents of the city's 19 residential parking permit areas $15 per year for their visitor parking passes and to step up enforcement of the parking regulations. In a rather snotty uh, article, Ms. Munger defends her career as an ex-meter maid and uh, with some glee uh, remarks how it is she, she gave out tickets to numerous what she describes as scoff laws. In truth, I did like a lot of what she had to say. She did note at one point, I even had the privilege of giving a ticket to the President of the United States. Of course, he wasn't president yet, just the son of the sitting vice president in town to help campaign during the Iowa caucuses. And he didn't pay the ticket either. It was voided by the police chief who had a softer spot for sob stories or maybe just a better sense of public relations than I did. While I agree with her basic philosophy that it is scandalous that out in suburbia some areas don't even have sidewalks, assuming that if you don't drive, you're not going anywhere, and that in an urban area here, in the Midtown area in Sacramento, that it's nice to have everything within walking distance. I know that uh, when I spent four years in in this wonderful town of Davis, living uh, at 2nd and C Streets, uh, I was spoiled by what was available to me walking a few blocks. In many ways, I don't think I've ever since then enjoyed such a high standard of living. You know, but in the meantime, while we're getting rid of our cars and living in Davis-like suburbs all over the country, which, uh, which I've noticed in the past 25 years has not been the national trend, uh, something I'm sorry to see, but nevertheless, that unfortunately has been reality, I, I really have to disagree with one of the premises in her article that um, no one has a right to park on a public street, whether it's one in front of their house or one in front of City Hall. A few years back, one of my more zealous neighbors decided that uh, they were tired of uh, the Canary Business Park people parking in the neighborhood where I live. So they arranged to have restricted parking signs put up and, and basically permits issued to all the residents. I wanted no part of this, but it didn't matter. I was part of the group that uh, was included. As a consequence of this, I was allowed to park in front of my own house, and one visitor could come visit me between the hours of, I believe it was, 8 to 5, Monday through Saturday. So if you wish to have any kind of barbecue on, say, Saturday before 5 p.m., well, if they sent their monkeys around in their little Cushmans to give tickets to every single other visitor you had, well, that was what they were going to do, and that's what they were doing. This problem was solved by me and a couple other people going around and petitioning everyone on our half a block to have this restriction removed. Otherwise, for the past 12 years, I could not have more than one visitor at a time. And other people who find themselves in this predicament will not only now be restricted to that one visitor, but they'll be paying $15 a year to the government of 
the city of Sacramento for the privilege. Anyway, I think it's pretty lame, and I think it's typical of the Sacramento City Council, frankly. Speaking of more woes in Sacramento, it's been noted that uh, the firefighters who attracted some bad publicity over having some sexual activity on the job have now come forward in the B to say they regret their sex romp. One of the firefighters apologized for bringing shame to his department, but said he doesn't deserve to be fired. I have to agree. If there were if there were no conflagrations going on in the city at the time, there was no dereliction of duty. It seems a bit much to me to fire these people, but oh well. The Supreme Court of the United States has now decided that uh, if you're under 17 years of age, when you commit murder and other heinous crimes, you will not be subject to capital punishment. To those who oppose capital punishment, this is a step in the direction of sanity. To the majority of Americans, this is not necessarily a good thing. I'm staring down at a picture of Lee Boyd Malvo, who uh, terrorized the Washington area as a sniper, shooting people in the head with a high-performance rifle when he was 17. He did this on numerous occasions. Um, I'm pretty sure at 17 that, uh, you know, you know that's wrong. And that, dear listener, is all I'm going to say on that subject today. We need to, uh, to lighten matters before we take a break here. Let's go to our Today in History book and note some events that have taken place on March 3rd throughout history. March 3rd in 1803 saw the German composer Ludwig von Beethoven publish Moonlight Sonata. March 3rd, 1859, at the largest recorded slave auction in American history, 400 men, women, and children are sold to pay off the gambling debts of their owner, Pierre Butler. 1887, American tutor Ann Sullivan began teaching six-year-old Helen Keller, who had lost her sight and hearing after a severe illness at age 19 months. And if you're not familiar with that story, that's one to take a look at. Uh, There was a wonderful movie with Patty Duke and Ann Bancroft many years back called The Miracle Worker. Uh, Worth a look. March 3, 1913, as thousands of women suffrage supporters march past a huge crowd in Washington, D.C., onlookers attack the marchers, injuring 200. And in 1924, the newly formed Turkish Republic under Kemal Ataturk exiles the Ottoman Sultan and abolishes the title of caliph in use by Muslim leaders since Muhammad's death in 632. And in 1934, the notorious American bank robber John Dillinger, who was noted for his sense of humor, escapes from prison in Indiana by threatening guards with a fake pistol. As he left, he sang, I'm heading for the last roundup. And I wish we had that for bumper music, but we don't. So I guess we'll go to the Moonlight Sonata. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. You're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. 